It's time now for Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that shares stories from inspiring people, from a wide range of expert guests, all focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Gina Gardner is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, business coach, and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely You, and has over 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine, authentic power, personally and professionally. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. This is a world of possibilities. A world in which people who put their minds to something can really make a difference. My goal is to help the environment. Someday I'll find a cure for cancer. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we believe that aspiring minds can achieve anything. So we dedicate ourselves to making sure everyone has an opportunity to go to college. Each year, we provide more than $150 billion in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about Money for College at studentaid.gov. And now, here's your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there, it's Gina Gardner here, and I'm so pleased to welcome you to today's show. Once again, I've got an amazing guest, Jessica Sudin, and she has an amazing story to tell you. Um, after being racing motorcycles as a hobby, she spent just over five years living in the Basque country and traveling to work at some of the highest level racetracks in Europe. She has a, a technical background in race car and motorcycle dynamics. And she joined that, that skill with learning and teaching of race craft. It gives her a unique perspective and it's one that she's going to share with us today. So Jessica, a huge welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Gina. So come on. Tell the story. I, you can't see her, but this is a, a lady who is absolutely stunning, who in motorcycle racing, it's not your average lady's career, is it? No, absolutely not. And in fact, I didn't even grow up riding motorcycles. I won motorcycle lessons at a university fundraiser for a Formula SAE team, which is quite ironic being that the guys who gave me the motorcycle lessons, their hobby was into race cars and all this. And little did we know, you know, um, eight, nine years later, I would be the one working with race cars as a as a full on job, as opposed to uh, some of those cats. So it was uh, it was interesting. So I won the motorcycle lessons and I started going on uh, tracks to get to know my motorcycle better. And then the bug came in to go racing. And once you got the bug, what did you do with it? Oh my gosh, I brought, I imported a motorcycle from New Zealand because it had to be a Yamaha, I had Yamaha support. With only a Japanese manual, I started assembling my motors in my living room. <laughs> and yeah, so this, this turned into a full-on obsession Meanwhile, I was a mechanical design engineer working at various corporations here in Calgary. And on the weekends, I was 
pulling wrenches or racing myself or finding sponsors and all of this. So what then? I mean, that's still presumably sometime in the past, or are you still doing it? Well, I've actually, I'm taking, I took a race school last year and I'll be taking another race school this year to uh, get back into it because track riding is something is fantastic. But um, really I bought that motor or the motorcycle from uh, New Zealand because it needed work to be done on it. And this was in a very careful plan. So I had in my head, why am I working as a mechanical engineer when I have this crazy obsession slash hobby with motorcycles? And how can I marry these two? And I was um, basically guided to look for masters and PhDs in Europe because that's the place to be. So I didn't want to be the boss of mechanics if I didn't know what I was doing. So I specifically bought a bike that I had to learn how to do mechanics on. That really is taking things to, you know, really walking your talk, isn't it? Which is something dear to my heart. But my goodness me, that is quite incredible. Yeah. So, one of the other things that I did to prepare myself was I was asked to be a tuner, coach, psychologist, Reiki guide to a lady who was racing the Canadian amateurs. And one of the reasons why I said yes to her is because she's from Quebec, from the French side of Canada. And my French was okay. But by this time, I had accepted and been accepted to go to Spain for this master's to Basque country. And um, I realized that going and working with her, I'm going to be surrounded with francophones. So it was another way that I could put myself in a quasi uncomfortable position because I knew the following winter, I'd be moving to a place where there was very little English. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? For most people, that would be something that they'd avoid like the plague. You know, why would I put myself into a place where I don't understand the language, um, where I'm far from home, to study something I'm interested in? Why add the layers? What was the reasoning behind it, wanting to go to Europe to study? So you've you've nailed something. There's there was programs in Swansea in Wales and Oxford Brooks, um, who I was very closely in contact with. And honestly, why I chose the quasi hard pass, well, not very quasi, it was quite difficult, <laughs> um, was because my mom was from Newfoundland and the Basques and the Newfoundland people have a huge history, like prior to Christopher Columbus, oh. the Basques in Newfoundland, they were one of the pioneers of the cod and whaling industry, and specifically the whaling industry. So I've heard of the Basque country all my life. And I was looking at a PhD in Italy, and this and that. And then once the Basque thing came up, I said, no, this is destiny. This is my family history. I have to go there. So you came out with a PhD. A master's. A master's, right. Yeah. Sorry, let's get it right. Master's. Congratulations. Huge stuff. Then what? Well, then I continued as a freelance race car engineer in Europe for various teams. I worked for a German team, Swiss teams, Spanish teams, and I developed um, a real in-depth knowledge of the different cultures. Uh, I was working with one of the Swiss teams. I think we had seven or eight languages underneath our tent. Goodness me. Get yes, it was a real melting pot, isn't it? Absolutely. So I was able to, you know, learn a little bit of German, learn about the German culture, 
um, understanding that I had to take out some of my Canadian please and thank yous because it wasn't really viewed as sincere. That's interesting. It was quite interesting. And, you know, in a couple of months after that, after I was given that feedback and I applied it right away, um, you know, I was able to go out and have beers with the boys after uh, after a day at the track where at the beginning I felt a, a little bit ostracized um, based on not knowing and not being aware of how to deal with various cultures. You know, we're going to go for a short break. And when we come back, I'd really like to explore all of the learnings that you have taken from these amazing experiences and how those learnings translate into what you do now. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. And now, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading at unitedthroughreading.org. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. Goat. G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in, spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. But Jessica, learning the culture of different teams and different countries and I think this is at so many levels isn't it it's not just the the uh, national culture but actually every team is going to have its own personal culture what are the things that you learnt by dealing with so many different teams in quite a telescoped time under what I am assuming is quite a pressured environment extremely pressuring like I've I've seen engineers and and truck drivers and all sorts of people, they can get laid off on the spot for mistakes. So you really don't have uh, a lot of margin. And there's a lot of money going into this. These are feeder classes getting into Formula One. So, um, you know, these these parents are, are dropping up to $50,000 in a weekend. Goodness me. Yeah. So um, one of the biggest lessons is asking and seeking to understand understanding. So for example, when I was with the German team, I was very grateful to my boss um, for explaining to me, you know, a little bit about how my Canadian type of personality was, was maybe rubbing people the wrong way and understanding of how to, how to change that. So one of the biggest lessons is seeking to understand, listening to the feedback and acting upon it, you know, I, I had no ego when it came to this. I understood that they were saying it for for my better. You know, I could have gone back to the hotel room and cried and and that, but I thought, no, I, I really want to understand this. And that was same with the Swiss team. We had one driver uh, writing in Hebrew. I had a, a Portuguese mechanic, a German mechanic. And with each of them, you just have to understand to treat people as as they want to be treated. You know, it's such an important lesson for life and particularly for leadership is to understand 
you know, the individuals of your team and to create a shared understanding, a shared language that everybody knows what's acceptable and what's expected. And I think for those who are listening, that's not just true of teams in business, but true within your family, that, you know, we're talking now and the reality is that there are three languages going on. There's your language and the blueprint you have for every word that you speak and the meaning you make of that and my language. So it could be that you are speaking bananas and I'm speaking apples because we might use the same words, but we will define those differently. And then we have the shared language that we create, if you like, which underpins the culture where we talked about it and we've come to a, a shared understanding of what those words represent. And you have given a perfect example of how that's worked in reality. Yeah, and that's that's a beautiful way to succinctly wrap wrap that into a nice a nice box, Gina. Like that's uh, that's an incredible way because I can think of even you know when in my corporate days I led all sorts of um, different. Uh, workshops and stuff in Czech Republic and the UK and all of this. And I was very fortunate uh, within their system to have some tools to understand how my leadership style is going to be um, received Yes, by people in various countries based on their business styles. You know, the so many people, and I've worked with thousands of leaders now, who make the mistake of assuming that because they have said it, that it's landed in the way that they intended. And I think we've got two ears and one mouth for a really good reason, that we need to listen <laughs> twice as hard and twice as long as we talk um, in order to understand whether that person has received what we've talked about or what they mean um, and in doing so, that's true communication that then underpins success. But so often people do not recognize that what they say is not landing in the way that they expect. Yeah, many times when I was coaching my drivers, I would ask them, can you say back to me what I've just told you? You know, like we're going to work on corner six to do this or corner seven to do this. And and can you can you explain back to me? You know, like, are, are we sure we're talking about the same thing? And I find that's a technique, like you said, that you can use in your family as well. You know, when it's you're a technique that, that works at every level. You think about two re relationships. I'm reminded of a story where I was working with a couple who were struggling. They'd been married about four years and they were at each other's throats. And so when they came to talk to me, um, I asked them to, to identify what their values were. And at top of both of their list was the word love. I asked them, what behaviors do you require to experience in order to feel loved? So the woman said, I need him to buy me flowers. Well, there was steam coming out of his ears. What do you mean buy you flowers? I buy you flowers every Friday. She said, no, you don't. You put a bunch of flowers in the shopping trolley. That's not what I mean by buying me flowers. And he thought about it for a moment and he said, you know, you're right. I don't give it any more thought than I would a tin of beans. 
And I mm. think when we unpick what we mean, when we understand what behaviours we require from other people in order to have our values validated, then magic happens and the relationships improve, whether that's personal or professional. Yeah, that's a beautiful example. So one lesson was to, um, to check in with people that, that they understood what you meant and to listen. And you also talked about accepting feedback. Can you give me an example, perhaps another example of where accepting feedback made such a difference to you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was in a fairly high role, in a corporate role, and um, I had misspoken in a meeting. And it wasn't that I wasn't ready for what was being asked from me, but the project hadn't started yet. So I really didn't have any of the answers. And I came across as really fumbling and not really knowing what was going on. So I remember my boss calling me up and saying, yeah, you know, so-and-so from this meeting thought that you seemed a little unprepared. And I said, that is super unfortunate and I need to make sure that this doesn't happen. So, sir, can you give me the rest of his feedback? And he was stopped. You know, like he, he really didn't think that that was the next thing I was going to say. And I said, yeah, I've got a piece of paper here. I would like to take down every single point. And the next time that I'm in a meeting with that man, this won't happen again. But also, I want to make sure that I'm living up to the expectations of the role in the way that his group is also reflected as having good leadership. You know, that demonstrates, you talked about lack of ego. You see, I think your ego should be put under your pillow with your pajamas or your nightie in the morning and leave it behind. Don't take it to work. But there we go. That's a, a whole different conversation. But I also think you know, having the humility and the readiness to learn means that you're going to succeed in such an in, incredible way. But I'd also say it would be useful had that leader sat you down fairly early on in your role and said to you, you know, this is how we work here and this is our expectation of you. Um, and then you would have had a chance to put those things in place rather than putting them right. And that mm. save a lot of trouble and a lot of heartache. Yeah. And, and understand it's not the easy thing to do either, right? Asking for that kind of feedback. I definitely had the butterflies in my stomach these are, are really high-level people in, in roles that are our responsibilities for, for, for millions and sometimes billions worth of projects. So it's, it's an interesting place to be in so that you're able to, you know, even if you're scared, even if you're nervous, do it anyway. I think that's really great advice. And one of the things I'd say to you, of people who are listening, if you're in a role, particularly if it's a new role or, or, or you've recently got promotion within an old role, go and ask and say, I recognize that I may understand your expectations, but unless you're clear with me about what those expectations are, they're just my thoughts. So what are the expectations and what would you like to see? Yeah. Be proactive rather than reactive to it. Yeah. Now, I'd like to talk after our next break about 
patience, because I know that's before we restarted the show, that was one of the things that, that you were talking about. I have to say it's my lifelong lesson um, in patience. I think, oh, surely I've learned it now and I'm better. But it is an ongoing challenge, I have to say. So don't go away. We're going to be talking about patience. We'd like you to be patient with the, uh, with the, the break. Come and join us again in just a minute. Last week, Brandon met a girl on a dating app. One day after work, he finally found the courage to ask her out. No answer. He started to panic. Was he being too pushy? Maybe it was too... Hey, sorry I didn't respond. I was driving. I would love to go on a date. How does tonight sound? Brandon tried to play it cool, but inside he knew. A girl so smart, so responsible. She must be a keeper. It's not too early to talk to your child about drinking. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. So, Jessica, you talked about learning the lesson of patience. How did that come about and how did you learn it and what's the impact it's had? For me, the impact, it was... One of the biggest patience lessons that I had had was really getting my butt to Europe and feeling prepared and being, like you said, proactive and not reactive. So um, I had imported a motorcycle from New Zealand specifically because it needed a lot more mechanics work to it. Yeah. And this was already when I had applied to a, a PhD and I applied to, to the master's program. And the idea was that if I was going to be the boss of mechanics, then I would need to know the mechanics side of it. But also I wanted to learn about the marketing and understanding about what how I could support my drivers. So I spent a lot of time writing articles for newspapers in Vancouver and Calgary. I hosted a motorcycle dynamicist coming from Spain, who's a British Aussie guy, very famous man. I had no idea how famous he was. And, you know, he was on that three-year journey with me prior to me literally landing in, in Spain and then taking a train up to Basque Country to start my master's. And I had a lot of people saying, oh, you've been talking about this PhD or this master's for a couple of years now. But honestly, it was divine patience that brought everything together. I was able to sell a rental property right in time to make money before the 2008 crash and just having that patience to say you're on the path to your dreams carry on and enjoy the journey that's taking you there so enjoy that racing enjoy the the building of bikes enjoy the swapping around companies to see see how I'm going to save enough money to to take that master's in Spain you know, it's really interesting. I've had a couple of guests who have been talking about you know, the difference between being involved in, in getting to the goal and actually enjoying the journey and knowing when it's time to speed through and when it's time to actually take the opportunity to enjoy it moment by moment. And that's a lovely example. Thank you. Before we go any further, where can people get hold of you if they'd like to work with you? Well, they can get hold of me, my full name, Jessica Sudin. I'm very searchable on LinkedIn. Can you spell Sudin? Because on radio, it's a bit difficult. Absolutely. So J-E-S-S-I-C-A and Sudin is 
S-O-O-D-E-E-N. And in what capacity do you work with people now? So I've shifted as I, I went through so much professional development and a lot of leadership programs within my corporate jobs and combining that with all of the multicultural experience and the racing and that, and really dealing with and, and treating myself as a high performance athlete. Now I'm working with um, teaching people collaborative empathy, compassion, how do we work in teams so that we're building psychological safety? Emotional intelligence is one of the biggest, I think, um, it's one of the biggest things that, that's having more light shone on it. Because as we go to seek to understand other people, our words matter. It's kind of like the apples and, and bananas that you had started off with, you know? And that's, that's how I really am I'm working with people now. That's brilliant. Thank you. Emotional intelligence is really important, isn't it? And, you know, it has been said that you get the job with your IQ, your capacity to think, but you get promotion and you keep the job through emotional intelligence. And I believe that one of the most important elements of that is being able to know yourself, to be able to manage yourself. Um, and deal with it. For me, it's about taking radical responsibility. And if you take radical responsibility for your thoughts and your beliefs and your emotions and your words and your actions, nobody can make you unhappy or frustrated or cross unless you choose to let them. But it moves you from that place of always being a victim to other people's moods and actions to taking charge of yourself, stepping into your genuine power, if you like. I love that. I love that about being victimized by by other people's, you know, I think within uh, the motorsports and the corporate world, that that can happen a lot, you know. I think it happens in life. Um, and that when you take radical responsibility for yourself, you know, I've done, I've worked with so many people who, you know, have found it very difficult in relationships, personal and professional, who once they take radical responsibility, actually understands that they are the common denominator in their life and they are the arbiter of quality of life because it's not the challenge that defines you, it's what you do with it. And if you decide to react to that challenge, whatever it may be, with emotional intelligence, then that, that situation doesn't keep you stuck in victim mode it yeah. enables you to be the hero or heroine of your own life and that seems to me a much better place to be mm, yeah I love it I love that common denominator that's so powerful Gina it, it well and for me you know people forget you know there's patterns of behavior and it's everybody else's fault and you know you think to yourself and I'll often reflect it back to people well you know you're talking about this person and that person and you know how it's always been awful but what's your part in this because you're the person who's been common to all of these situations and that can be quite tough but once you actually accept that responsibility then you can start doing something differently and I think it's a lot easier to accept that responsibility because you've tucked that ego underneath your pillow. Absolutely. Now, we're very pleased to be members of B1G1, Buy One, Give One. 
and we donate on behalf of our guests to one of the projects. It's a wonderful giving company, um, charity. They have a second charity that, that raises the money to pay for all of the admin. So every cent, every penny goes to the project. And also it, what I love about it, so you know, people use my, um, uh, my um, reference to join, then I get to find out how my impact and influence has actually moved on to other people. But there are so many people in the world who need help. The projects this month are clean water, um, feeding the hungry, education, and there's a charity helping children um, and people in the Ukraine um, with the terrible situation that's going on there. So which would you like us to donate to on your behalf? Wow, I think um, the hunger. Okay, well, a donation will be going on your behalf to B1G1 uh, to feed people. And interestingly, for every 100 people that um, listen to the show live or download the show, we will donate a meal. So if you're out there, please spread the word because the more people who are engaged, the more people we will feed. Because if you're hungry, you're going to bed with an empty tummy, um, then life's pretty miserable, isn't it? We've run out of time. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for being my guest. Listeners, thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to contact me, it's Gina, G-I-N-A, at generally-u.com. Any comments or any themes you'd like us to cover, please let me know. Take care, and we'll see you on the next show. Thanks for listening to Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that helps you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. To learn more about Gina Gardner, go to genuinely-u.com. If you would like to work with Gina or book her as a speaker, email her at gina at genuinely-u.com.